turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome back as we head into hour two. This is fun. You've heard ads for, uh, you've probably heard ads for uh, an event we're partnering with Focus on the Family on called Resist the Drift. It's a two day marriage conference. It's going to be August 25th and 26th at the Central Christian Church. In Gilbert, now we're going to give away some tickets. We're going to give away some exclusive VIP tickets for it. Uh, you and your spouse could be one of ten lucky couples who get to attend the conference on the house for free. Five couples will be invited to attend our pre-conference VIP event. It's a meet-and-greet reception hosted by me. I'll be there. And you and your spouse can also have the opportunity to meet with the speakers, Greg and Aaron Smalley. And, of course, they'll have a Q&A session, and uh, we'll have delicious appetizers. I can't wait to find out what they are. In addition to all of this, VIP ticket holders get reserved seating at the conference and a workbook to notate in during the weekend's four sessions of really impactful teachings. So for a chance to win tickets and meet Greg and Aaron Smalley, go to 960thepatriot.com and click on the event banner. And if you're not feeling lucky, you can always just buy tickets also at 960 the Patriot. Uh, John, did you have more uh, you wanted to share with us? Um, the only the only thing I just wanted to finish with is uh, my second point was sort of in agreement with you. I said, um, yeah, they, they, of course, don't want to move away from their long-term progressive socialist goal, and, and that's, that's what it's all about. But I still do feel that there's something about Trump where, you know, with crooked Hillary, where he goes right after the... Uh, to certain individuals that there's a fear of being exposed and and that he could expose things that they don't want exposed maybe i mean i don't know what it could be i mean i just maybe I, I i just think it's really about the ideology i think he would have done it i think he would have done it um when he was in office. okay has biden has, has biden potentially sold influence to sure. china and to russia sure okay has he potentially has he potentially let them buy properties maybe has he potentially I think that's all given I think that all needs to I think that's all theoretically possible security and, secrets yeah. security secrets possibly I mean it's just that what if that comes to light and what if Trump helps it come to light yeah sure I, 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 look I, I, I don't no. have I don't have a big a big disagreement on this point I'm just saying I think any Republican will have the Department of Justice looking into these things and I think it's going to clean house at the Department of Justice I think Congress yep, is yep, looking into these things but I just, you know, I think if he had the kind of dirt that okay. you speculate he may have, you you ask yourself why why he didn't use it during his presidency to get other things that he promised, like finishing off the border wall or re- repealing Obamacare or uh, just other things. Why didn't he strong arm him then uh, with those things? I, I, I just don't think if there's that. A, I, I you don't know. have that yeah. much power to do that kind of stuff. I just don't think. I just don't think. I don't think do you, you think so that there's a lot of people that are afraid of being exposed that do you think well, like sure. what about well, sure what I mean I think they're afraid children? of being exposed now I think the Bidens are uh, under tremendous pressure 
from the from the House Oversight Committee, and I think that's why the media has been helping him out so much by you know by uh, detoxifying all of the testimony that is coming out about the Bidens. I, I think they're afraid of exposure. I, I have no doubt about that. But I mean, what more? I can, don't just mean, and know. I didn't just mean Bidens. I meant, like I said, Kerry's children are involved in things, and they've even Devin Archer shared that, I believe. I but there's numerous individuals. And what about McConnell if he started speaking about China influence? And what about if he started speaking about Bernie Sanders with know. certain influence? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, don't, know. I don't either. I, don't know. I think it's the ideology, John. I just think it's, it's really it's about we are in their way. We are in their way. And look at what look at what Donald Trump did with the Supreme Court. Look at what a good Republican can do with the Supreme Court. It changes our culture and our law dramatically dramatically it resets it to where it should have been they hate that they have been on a progressive run for at least 50 years maybe longer now really 60 70 years with the supreme court they hate that now would another republican take those supreme court give us the same supreme court justices i don't know i don't know and i loved that donald trump worked with who he worked with to get us those supreme court justices but whether it's him or whether it's Ron DeSantis or someone else. I, I hope the pattern is the same. But I'll tell you what, you know, the Democrats see all of us the same way. We're a little smarter about our party. We know not all of we know not all Republicans are the same. You know, <laughs> we know not all Republicans are out of the um, out of the, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan, Barry Goldwater. Uh, one could now add Donald Trump uh, use of. The um, use of, uh, of of the levers to of power to to put in strong nominations, nominees like that. I don't think Mitt Romney's presidency would have, if he had the opportunity to appoint Supreme Court justices, would have looked the same as Donald Trump's. My guess is Ron DeSantis's would. My guess is Chris Christie's and Nikki Haley's wouldn't. I don't know about Tim Scott, but. The Democrats don't see it that way about us. They think anyone who's not Katanji Brown-Jackson or some other liberal progressive is, um, is an enemy to their cause. And in some respects, they're right. In some respects, they're right. We're trying to restore normalcy. They're trying to tear it down. Why was the first act of the Biden White House to remove the 1776 commission? The 1776 Commission report on the White House website, why was that taken down within hours of Joe Biden's inauguration? They know what we stand for, and they know what they stand for, and they just don't want us in power, and they'll do anything they can to keep us from power, anything they can, including calling us fascists, including calling us racists, including calling calling us Nazis, including criminalizing politics and free speech. I mean, this indictment, I want everyone to read it. It's 45 pages. I want you to see what the special prosecutor did here. Jonathan Turley is eminently correct. He's eminently correct. You could take a red pen and cross through everything in that indictment that is political speech and be left with nearly nothing but the 17 vowels of a haiku poem. It is politically Excuse me, it is constitutionally protected political speech that they are indicting him for with an assumption of a fraudulent or criminal frame of mind, which they can't assume and they can't prove.
And I don't even think the facts bear out as they exist right now. I don't think you can look at John, Donald Trump. I don't think you can listen to Donald Trump and think that he actually believes that 2020 wasn't stolen from him, which is what the indictment says he must believe because someone told him he was wrong to think that. Well, someone told him he was wrong to think that. Okay, a lot of people told him he was wrong to think that. And some told him he wasn't wrong to think that. Some of you are in this listening audience who told him he wasn't wrong to think that. Are we now going to criminalize that he was taking the wrong advice or the advice that wasn't sanctified by the liberal narrative? I'm sorry. That's First Amendment protected activity. I really want people to read this indictment. It is the most, I think, of all the things I've seen thrown at him, whether it was the impeachment in the first case or impeachment in the second case or whether it had to do with the classified documents— I think this one is the real revelation of what the Democrats believe. You, as a conservative, don't get free speech rights. That's what this indictment to me says. That's what this indictment to me screams. All the while, they will campaign saying the Constitution is under assault, that Donald Trump poses an existential threat to the Constitution, as they're criminalizing First Amendment protected activity. As they're sicking law enforcement on school board meeting attendees who question critical race theory and mask mandates, as they're censoring and and uh, excuse me, as they're censoring stories from the New York Post that are unhelpful to them a month before an election, and as they're pressuring social media companies to censor stories that go against the orthodoxy of the narrative they want promulgated, we to them, as they will say are existential threats to the Constitution. No, we're not. They have already proven themselves existential threats to the Constitution. They're the ones who are the existential threats to the Constitution. We're trying to restore it. And if you have any doubt on that score, really, truly, please read this indictment. It tells you almost everything you need to know about their mindset. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Couldn't you listen to Neil Diamond all day? I mean, that voice, he's not performing anymore. Um, he did something that was just beautiful where he was honored. Was it at the Lincoln Center or something like that about a half a year ago? And he did a little, I think it was a little Sweet Caroline or something like that where he was being honored. It's a beautiful voice. I, I just, I just, I, <laughs> whenever he comes on, I just want to listen to him. I will keep petitioning for us to have Neil Diamond's version of Brother Love's Travel and Salvation Show as our out of show. <laughs> you want Neil Diamond, not Dolly Parton? Yes, and I will stand on that hill until the day I Don't die. we have a version of Neil Diamond in our regular bumper? It's a bumper, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, we give him his. There too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the two voices, I mean, I don't know who's. I, you can't really categorize one over the other. Is Dolly Parton's voice better than Neil Diamond's? I mean, obviously, they're totally different voices and totally different singers. But I could listen to Dolly Parton all day too. Honestly, you, you're not a Dolly Parton fan, huh? I have never really. This been is a your Dolly problem. Parton fan. This is your problem. Uh -huh. This is something you need to get over. Despite my last name. Uh, yeah. Uh. Despite. Yeah, it's very funny. Um. Here's, here's something from Issues and Insights that gets at what I was trying to say. When a handful of Democrats introduced a bill to impose a progressive wealth tax on millionaires and billionaires, 
they didn't just say that income inequality was bad. They called it a threat to democracy. Apparently, anything and everything the left doesn't like is now a threat to democracy. Representatives Rashida Tlaib and Barbara Lee and Summer Lee and Jamal Bauman, four of the far most leftward lawmakers in Congress, introduced the Oligarch Act to, quote, extreme wealth, reduce to limit extreme wealth, reduce inequality, and combat the threat to democracy posed by billionaires, close quote. Billionaires pose a threat to democracy, don't you know? Quote, the bill ensures accountability as, and is an effort to restore democracy, close quote. That's what their press release says. Tlaib says, quote, billionaires are threatening our democracy, close quote. Not to be outdone, Barbara Lee calls them a, quote, major threat to democracy, close quote. How exactly do the rich threaten democracy? Summer Lee claims that, quote, the 400 richest Americans have 22,000 times the political influence of the bottom 90 percent, close quote, citing the conclusion of one research paper published 14 years ago. Morris Pearl, chairman of the Patriotic Millionaires, which backs this bill, insists that, quote, without decisive action, this vicious cycle of concentrated power and money will dismantle our system of democratic capitalism and with it our way of life, close quote. Their solution is to impose an entirely new wealth tax starting at 2% and climbing to 8% on anyone who has a net wealth of more than $140 million. Let's leave aside the fact that such a wealth tax would be virtually impossible to impose, would be a disaster for the economy, and wouldn't raise nearly the revenue the left predicts, which is why several European countries abandon their own wealth tax schemes after seeing their adverse effects. Also leave aside the fact that a wealth tax is almost certainly unconstitutional. The most fundamental problem with the bill is how it continues the left's attempt to turn every policy debate into a war over democracy. Election laws designed to mitigate fraud or threats to our democracy. Misinformation defined as anything the left doesn't like to hear is a threat to democracy. Recent Supreme Court rulings are a threat to democracy. The prevalence of guns is a threat to democracy. Climate change is a threat to democracy. The war on woke is, you guessed it, a threat to democracy. An op-ed in the Hill newspaper declared that, quote, as we mark 100 days of MAGA control of the U.S. House of Representatives this week, one thing is absolutely clear. Speaker Kevin McCarthy and the extreme members he has put in positions of power appear focused on, guess what, undermining our democracy, close quote. When President Joe Biden announced his reelection, he claimed, quote, that's been the work of my first term to fight for democracy, close quote. None of these things is a threat to democracy. The left is using this claim to stifle debate. That way, the discussion is no longer about, say, tax reform or gun control or free speech. It's about the future of democracy and who can be against democracy, right? The next time, just says who could be against, you know, who could be in favor of a fascist or a racist or Bull Connor. The next time some politician starts blathering on about threats to democracy, take a moment to remind them that we thankfully actually don't live in a democracy. We live in a constitutional republic. And the real threats to our republic are coming from those on the left who want to tear up the Constitution in the name of democracy. That's really the point, isn't it? They can't have normal politics. They can't have normal debates about any of these issues, whether it's free speech rights or gun rights or tax policy or environmental policy or energy policy or immigration policy or law enforcement policy. They just can't stand on those on those um, on those issues, because frankly, you look at 
the way they have handled all those issues, and they're massive failures. Massive failures. You cannot tell me that the leftward most governed cities or the liberally most saturated governed cities and states are successes. You cannot. And they know it. And you look at what Joe Biden has wrought over the last two and a half plus years, and you know that there's a reason that the vast majority of the polling public thinks we're on the wrong track. So let's not make it about any of those issues. Let us not debate those issues. Why do you think they want to shut down debate? Why do you think they want to sick cops on school board meetings that address things like the racialization of our children and our curriculums? They cannot debate these things. So they make our position something that it is not and call it a threat, a threat to the republic, a threat to democracy, a threat to the constitution. And, they, and, to, and to do this, they engage in out-and-out lies. Take a look at what Vice President Kamala Harris said about the Florida education standards. It's an out-and-out lie that those standards were written and are written to say that there were benefits of slavery. It's an out-and-out lie. It's an outrageous lie, but it is used by the left, by the Democrats, by Kamala Harris, to continue to paint the Republicans something we actually aren't, but they actually are, the real racialists, the real racialists. Go back to the debate over critical race theory. Chris Rufo has a new book out on DEI and covers a lot of this. But go back to the debate over critical race theory. Remember what the entire edifice of the left was saying when we were making charges about critical race theory in our schools. Remember what they said? They denied it. They said it's not true. It's not happening. It's a weird little law school thing. And then when it was proven beyond peradventure that it was in our schools, they defended it, saying, well, it's the right thing to do, and if you oppose it, you're a racist. And then they mandated it. That's the syllogism That's the dialectic, I should say, of the left. Deny, defend, then mandate. Are global leaders developing solutions that promote freedom and quality of life, or are they creating problems, enforcing solutions that only benefit the elite? Midas Gold Group believes it's the latter. From draconian COVID restrictions, the decimation of small businesses, and changed election laws, which may have led to a Biden presidency, Midas believes your finances will be next. Under the guise of protecting you, you'll get monetary expansion, national debt, and reduced purchasing power. And their central bank digital currency will virtually eliminate your savings and purchasing privacy. The answer? Convert a portion of your savings or IRA to physical gold and silver. Precious metals are a private currency. They're used to store wealth throughout history. Thousands of you have trusted the veterans at Midas Gold Group because they're fighting for your financial freedom and privacy. Call the Midas Gold Group today at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or visit them online at Midas goldgroup.com. David Brooks um, used to be a bit of a conservative, a bit of one, and um, was hired over at the New York Times 
to allow the New York Times to say they hired conservative op-ed writers. And he steadily, of course, went native and became ever increasingly more liberal. He, um, I think, was always a little overrated, at least in my book and by my lights. But um, he has a about once a year an interesting column. And he has one out now that is half interesting called What If We're the Bad Guys Here? What if we're the bad guys here? And by we, he means liberal elites. He says that, you know, what we elites tell ourselves is that we're fighting for right and good. We anti-Trumpers are the good guys, the forces of progress and enlightenment. The Trumpers are reactionary bigots and authoritarians. Many Republicans support Trump no matter what, according to this theme, because at the end of the day, he's still the bigot in chief, the embodiment of their resentments, and that's what matters to them most. While he says he partly agrees with that theme, that scheme of thematics, he says it's also a monument to elite self-satisfaction. He says, I ask you to try on a vantage point in which we anti-Trumpers are not the eternal good guys. In fact, maybe we're the bad guys. The story begins in the 1960s when high school grads had to go off to fight in Vietnam, but the children of the educated class got college deferments. It continues in the 1970s when the authorities imposed busing on working class areas in Boston, but not on the upscale communities like Wellesley, where they themselves lived. The ideal that we're all in this together was replaced with the reality that the educated class lives in a world up here and everybody else is forced into a world down there. Members of our class are always publicly speaking out for the marginalized, but somehow we always end up building systems that serve ourselves. The most important of those is the modern meritocracy. We built an entire social order that sorts and excludes people on the basis of the quality that we possess most, academic achievement. Highly educated parents go to elite schools, marry each other, work at high-paying professional jobs, and pour enormous resources into our children who get into the same elite schools, marry each other, and pass their exclusive class privileges down from generation to generation. The meritocracy, he says, isn't only a system of exclusion. It's an ethos. During his presidency, Barack Obama used the word smart in the context of his policies over 900 times. The implication was that anybody who disagreed with his policies must be stupid. It's an interesting thing for someone like David Brooks, who so liked Barack Obama to say and point out. I want to pick up on this on the other side of this break. There's a kernel of truth in something that David Brooks is getting at here. Give me a second and we'll be right back. 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. That's Nicole Kidman's husband, David. Young David, in case you didn't know. I didn't. Now you do. Now you know. You, <laughs> now you know. 
What was that thing NBC used to do or CBS, The Smarter You Are or something like that? Didn't, do you remember those little PSAs? Now you no, know? I don't know that one. The Smarter You Are or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm going through this um, The More You Know. Maybe it was The More You Know. Bill is telling us it's The More You Know. Oh, it is? Yes. See, I, I'm, a, I, I'm like what Winston Churchill said about America. They always end up doing the right thing. It just takes them a while to get I'll, I'll land on it. I'll <laughs> land on it. <laughs> I was doing a Bill Nye. No, no, no. He, That's he, what I was he doing. Finds, he finds no favor here. I, yeah, I he find No, 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 no. We don't need to be bringing that junk thought to the fore. David Brooks is column in the New York Times. As I say, it's a little interesting. He's flagellating him and his class a little bit, saying, what if we're the bad guys here? What if we rabid anti-Trumpers are the bad guys here? And he continues, over the last decades, we, the elites, have taken over whole professions and locked everybody else out. He writes, when I began my journalism career in Chicago in the 1980s, there were still some old, crusty, working-class guys around the newsroom. Now, we're not only a college-dominated profession, we're an elite college-dominated profession. Only eight-tenths this – this, this is math that's interesting. I usually don't like doing math. This is interesting. Only eight-tenths of a percent of all college students graduate from the super-elite 12 schools, you know, the Ivy League, Stanford, Duke, University of Chicago – Eight-tenths percent of all college students are graduates of the elitist schools. A recent study found that more than half of the staff writers at the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal attended one of the 29 most elite universities in the nation. Think about that. Michael Lind writes, those who manage to squeeze through the stem of a few prestigious colleges and universities in their youth can then branch out to fill leadership positions in almost every vocation. Elite graduates monopolize the best jobs and at the same time invent new technologies that privilege super-skilled workers, making the best jobs better and all other jobs worse. Members of our class also segregate ourselves into a few booming metro areas. Here's a little more math for you. San Francisco, D.C., Austin, and so on. Get this. In 2020, Biden won only 500 or so counties, but together they're responsible for 71% of the American economy. Trump won over 2,500 counties responsible for only 29% of the economy. Once we find our clicks, we don't get out much. As Mike Savage writes, social sociologist Mike Savage writes, members of the highly educated class tend to be the most insular, measured by how often they have contact with those who have jobs unlike their own. Armed with all kinds of economic culture and political power, we support policies that help ourselves. Free trade makes the products we buy cheaper and our jobs are unlikely to be moved to China. Others are. Open immigration makes our service staff cheaper, but new less educated immigrants aren't likely to put downward pressure on our wages as they will for others. Like all elites, we use language and mores as tools to recognize one another and exclude others, using words like problematic cisgender, Latinx, and intersectional is a sure sign that you've got cultural capital coming out of your ears. Meanwhile, members of the less educated classes 
have to walk on eggshells because they never know when we've changed the usage rules so that something that was sayable five years ago now gets you fired. We also change the moral norms in ways that suit ourselves, never mind the cost to others. For example, there used to be a norm that discouraged people from having children outside of marriage, but that got washed away during our period of cultural dominance as we eroded norms that seemed judgmental or that might inhibit individual freedom. As this social norm was eroded, a funny thing happened. Members of our class still overwhelmingly married and then had children within wedlock. People without our resources, unsupported by the social norms we wrecked, were less able to do that. Kind of interesting. He then, of course, has to return to type. Does this mean that I think people in my class are vicious and evil? No, most of us are earnest, kind, and public-spirited. But we take for granted and benefit from systems that have become oppressive. Elite institutions have become so politically progressive in part because the people in them want to feel good about themselves as they take part in systems that exclude and reject. You know what this reminds me of, this this little bit of a self-confessional of his? Reminds me of one of the best columns from the 2016 election that was written. It was written by David Gelernter. Do you guys know who he is? He's been a guest on in this show, and his son certainly has been a guest on this show. David Galerter is one of the walking, living geniuses of our age. Professor at Yale, who has never lost the common touch, and one of the targets of the Unabomber. The Unabomber sent a bomb to David Galerter and took off his hand and eye and ruined his body in other respects as well. One of the greatest books of the latter half of the 20th century. It's so beautiful you can and short. You can read it in one night. It's David Galerter's book about that experience. It's called Drawing Life, Drawing Life. He's an artist, too. David Galerter wrote this column, Wall Street Journal, talking about the difference between Trump and Clinton. It says, when it came to character, he never was accepting the argument that Donald Trump was of lower character than Hillary Clinton. He wrote, she lies the way base, excuse me, she lies the way basketball stars shoot baskets constantly, nonstop, because it's the one thing she is best at. And it naturally gives her pleasure to hear herself lie. You could say the same thing about Joe Biden. Galunter wrote about Clinton, and her specialist talent of all is the verbal kick in the groin of a Secret Service man or state trooper who has the nerve to talk to her as if she were merely human. You can see that with Joe Biden when someone questions him, too. Galunter said, I'll be voting for Mr. Trump. He says, Mr. Trump's candidacy is a message from the voters. This was in 2016. Kind of getting at it reminded me of what David Brooks was writing about. Glenter wrote, he is the empty gin bottle the voters have chosen to toss through the window. The message begins with the fact that voters hear what the leaders and pundits don't. The profound contempt for America and Americans that Democrats share, along with their frightening lack of emotional connection to this nation and its people. I think there is a volume of wisdom and logic in that one sentence. I'll come back to it when I come back. With bank failures and the stock market's volatility, speculation of a recession, the inflation we feel every day, why refi 
has an answer to the question, where do you go to invest? Because they have an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return. It's not correlated to any of that, not the Federal Reserve, not the stock market. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure, collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, and they are headquartered here locally. Uh, We encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. Great group of folks. Not going to ask you to sign anything and won't give you a sales pitch. They just like talking about what it is that they do. They leave the selling up to me. But when you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I like them so much. They are a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com or call 888-Y-REFI-34. A couple callers earlier, uh, Mike and Carefree and John and Phoenix, talking about what the Democrats think of a Trump candidacy and how they're evaluating it. And it needs to be bolstered by the news story this morning that Barack Obama had a lunch recently with Joe Biden where he told Joe Biden not to underestimate Donald Trump in a general election, that it's easy to do so and he shouldn't. And I think that's kind of the point at which David Brooks is getting at and David Galerter was writing about that I was talking about in 2016. If it's a matter of class, if it's a matter of honesty, it's the, the Joe Biden, just as Hillary Clinton, they, they they had no more credibility on those things than Donald Trump. They are arch patronizing and magnificently weary of having to explain their liberalism and their leftism to a populist that's to a population that's not buying it. As Galenter put it, they show a profound contempt for America and Americans, and they share a frightening lack of emotional connection to this nation and its people that you just don't get from Donald Trump. They can claim he's a third-rate or some kind of other-rated tyrant, but go back in your memory to the four years of his presidency. And ask yourself, with all that's going on, particularly at the Department of Justice and the FBI and the censorship and the use of the phrase misinformation and disinformation, who's the tyrant? Who's the tyrant? We'll be right back.